I've been out on the road uh, going door to door, farm to farm, uh, visiting ranchers, uh, visiting farms. Uh, the, the rural community is, they're being hurt hard. Uh, their input costs are going through the roof. Uh, everything is costing them much, much more. And the carbon tax is probably one of the biggest issues that's on the plate. Welcome to the Ballot Box, featuring Douglas Carwandi. Welcome back to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. We are back with our special segment of the show, which is all about candidates for the upcoming wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this fall's federal election. Today's guest is Maverick Party of... Uh, uh, the Western Maverick Party, uh, Douglas Carwandi. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for doing this. He is the candidate for Battle River Crowfoot. Thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it, Doug. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Um, my first question, as always, is where's your sense of duty to serve come from? Well, I think the duty, I think, comes from my, uh, from my father. My father was a, uh, a World War II veteran, uh, spent most of his uh, career in the RCF. Uh, two years uh, in World War II, uh, 40, joined in 1943, and then I think he retired uh, right over 1966, 65, uh, shortly after I was born, actually. And then uh, he started a business. Uh, he's always was interested in politics. He had uh, friends like... Uh, uh, Tommy License uh, out of uh, Vermilion for our MLA back in the in the day, and uh, Don Mazankowski was our uh, our uh, MP at the time. So uh, these are all the guys that I kind of grew up with. You know, that's sort of where that all started out. And he was pretty active in politics. Now, before we jump into the Maverick Party, um, I want to talk about yourself a little bit more here. For the people who are just tuning in and who are listening and who want to know a little bit more about you, what is your story? Why, why, why are you the person to put your name forward for the Maverick Party of Canada and to be the next MP for the uh, riding of Battle River Crowfoot? Well, firstly, I don't really consider myself to be a politician. That isn't a moniker I would uh, attach to myself in, in any way, shape, or form, other than that's sort of the the, the business that I'm, I'm I'm leading myself into. But uh, that, that's kind of where where I start is, is I'm sort of Joe Joe Average. Uh, I, I've had a bunch of different jobs that uh, took me through the oil patch, through uh, retail, through uh, my own uh, business operations. Uh, you know, small business type stuff. Nothing uh, nothing very you know, corporate or big. Uh, so I, I kind of think of myself as sort of Joe Average. Uh, I've got experience in oil patch. I've got experience in agriculture. I've got experience in uh, transportation. Uh, all sort of things that make Alberta work. I've got a good idea as to how it all functions and fits together. Uh, I've got a family of four, uh, wife, you know, kids, two dogs, uh, bills to pay, all that kind of stuff. This is nothing about my life is, is much different than uh, than anybody else's. But my drive really comes from uh, uh, seeing that 2019 election, and that that was the that was a trigger for me. Uh, I mean, I spent my whole my whole life just sort of voting conservative here or reform there or, or whatever the, uh, the the party du jour for the uh, for the area was. But 2019 really hit hard for me. This is when when you look at the map after the election was done and 
uh, one entire half of the country was uh, was, was solid uh, you know, Tory blue, and then the other half of the country went uh, went liberal. Even after all the scandals and uh, issues that uh, that we'd had in government, it, it just seems like we saw things happening out here differently than what people in central and eastern Canada saw. And uh, I didn't quite understand you know, where, where that was coming from. And I I understand you know, that's where the power base is. That's where all the decisions are made is up in central Canada. So you know, we out here in the West, we get uh, we get the raw end of the deal way too uh, often. And that's what pushed me into this. Is you know, I got sick and tired of seeing that happen. Uh, we went through the, the beginning of the pandemic when all uh, people were shut in. Uh, that's kind of when this party got started rolling. And it was in the middle of the pandemic. Not uh, a bad time to get people started and interested in stuff when everybody's really upset and angry already. So that's that's what pushed me over the edge there. So let's talk about the Maverick Party. Um, in your own words, describe to me what the Maverick Party is, because you can ask anyone in uh, politics today and they'll give a different explanation on what uh, their party is and what they, their party represents. So in your own words, what does the Maverick Party represent and what is it for those who are potentially looking at the Maverick Party to say, hey, I might put my vote and my trust into that party? Right. Yeah, well, see, first off, the uh, the biggest misconception that uh, we have uh, nowadays with the Maverick Party is that uh, people think that we're a provincial party. Uh, we are not a provincial party. Uh, we're here as a, a federal uh, a party to go to Ottawa. Uh, our, our job is basically to uh, support the provinces in, in the future uh, for if they happen to decide that uh, they want to have a referendum for, for separation. The Maverick Party is there in order to be in Ottawa to further that cause. Somebody has to be in Ottawa that's going to be a champion of that issue. Right now, we haven't got anybody that's going to do that. The conservatives, uh, the, the small, I call them small seed conservatives. They are no longer conservatives uh, as far as I see. Uh, they've morphed into a, uh, a, a small L liberal party. Uh, touting the same policies that the liberals are, are, are pushing. Uh, everything that they, they seem just seems to be not really designed for uh, a fair uh, and equal representation for Westerners. And that's where we get lost in the mix. All the decisions are made out east. The decisions that make out west are literally in, can be ignored you know, and have to be ignored, really, because the, the Conservative Party is tied to their party politics. That's how the Conservative Party works. Uh, if you are not towing the party line, if you don't vote the party uh, way, then you're tossed out of the caucus. Uh, they, they've shown that ad infinitum for uh, the Liberals and the Conservatives. If you don't pull the same weight, then you're out the door. Suddenly you're an independent, and then you have no issue, you know, no no uh, no recourse back to into in politics. So, Maverick Party isn't like that. Maverick Party doesn't have that policy. Uh, if, if we come to a vote in uh, in uh, the House of Commons, uh, if we don't think that this is going to be for uh, our constituents, it doesn't get my vote. Uh, it, it, that's we're 100% Western focused. Anything else that happens out east. Well, that's really their own major concern is we're not here to form government. We're here to uh, back up the provinces as far as uh, you know, Western interests. Maverick Party's got sort of a, a two-track uh, mission. Uh, one is change through uh, constitutional reform, and the other one is the uh, the separation track. You know, that, that gives us sort of a, a two-prong uh, uh, attack uh, to try and gain uh, interest and seats in Parliament. Lots of people aren't interested in separatism. 
And and I want to talk about that because on your on the Maverick Party website, uh, the Maverick's mission statement, and it's literally clearly stated on the website, is to achieve greater fairness and self-determination for Western Canadians through A, constitutional change, or B, the creation of an independent nation. Uh, I'm going to start off with this question and then we'll dive a little bit more deeper into these uh, those two areas. Absolutely. But which one are you which one would you prefer to see? Well, really, they, they both are uh, equal in weight. Uh, they both have to happen uh, at the same time. Uh, they aren't uh, this, then this. Uh, there is a, a constant push for, for both of them to happen at the same time. But obviously, the first issues uh, when you get into uh, into government or into uh, a seat in Parliament is that you're there to represent your people. Okay? So that is, that's your primary responsibility. Uh, in order for the first uh, action of the, uh, the the mission statement, the, the constitutional changes, and, and we have a number of them that uh, you can find on the website there that, that weed out all the changes that we want to try and lead to. But the first is, uh, is to try and change it so that it makes it more more fair, uh, gives true representation for the West, um, a little more, a little more basically freedom for us to make decisions in our own province that are with respect to interprovincial trade, uh, with respect to um, uh, the, the transfer payments, uh, with respect to the, uh, the justice system. Uh, all of these uh, are, are issues that uh, need to get addressed. And without a true voice that isn't being, you know, quashed or, or uh, held back by uh, Central Canadian and Eastern Canadian uh, ideals, policies, uh, that's where we come in. Now, the other aspect is the, the separation, and it has to happen at the same time uh, as an equal weight. Uh, it is there for us to be used. It, it's kind of like the hammer that you carry over your shoulder when you walk into uh, into a fight, right? It's just, you you want to have something that you can have. Uh, it's basically what Quebec did as well. If you look at uh, back to into the history a little bit, uh, when Quebec was seeking that separation, uh, they had this is all prior to the block even. The block was uh, morphed into the, the whole idea afterwards, but the initial aspect was just they had the, uh, the idea for separation. That was their hammer. They got the block Quebecois in. Now they have uh, a few extra seats. What are they thirty? How many seats do they have? Thirty. 36 or something? Uh, 32. 32. 32 seats altogether. And they're only running in Quebec. So their focus is Quebec. They've been very successful at this. Uh, they don't have any interest in uh, in, in voting for uh, policies that have anything to do with Western Canada, as nor would we as a uh, matter party have any interest in, uh, in delving into the politics of Quebec. So they get an equal weighting the, the the twin track is is, is one is the constant change uh, to reforms which is basically what the reform party was after with the equal senate uh the triple e senate uh and uh, the interprovincial trade all these ideas have, are new these are all things that we've been floating around for years but the new change to the whole process is that we're trying to go after the uh, the western region as a block you know, all four provinces, all three territories, if possible, the, the three territories, I don't, I don't want to leave them out of the, the whole deal. They've each got one uh, potential seat up there as well. We've got 104 seats in all of the Western provinces. You know, I'm not suggesting that uh, that this year we're going to get 104 seats. That's not even, uh, you know, on the board. We've got, I think, 16 candidates now, 17 candidates, 16 candidates. 
we're filling up ridings that have large portions of uh, conservative voters. We're not interested in in, in letting liberals or P, or the NDPs uh, get into any more seats in Western Canada. So they've already got too many as it is. We, we, we have a lot to dive into from what you just said there, because I, I find it fascinating that uh, as an upstart party, you have attracted, uh, the Maverick Party has attracted so many uh, people, and it seems to be resonating with a lot of Western voters right now. And you talked about it briefly, about in 2019, you became disillusioned, and that's why what made you transition into the Maverick Party. I want to ask, what are you hearing from your neighbors, from your friends? Are they on the same track uh, track set as well, saying, you know what, we have been getting a, an unfair deal from the conservatives and the liberals, and it's time to change. It's time to move and stop doing the reoccurring, we'll vote conservative every single time to hopefully potentially see a good scenario for Western Canada and finally say enough is enough. We're going to go with this new party. We're going to go with the Maverick party because they are on their website says they're going to stand up for us. And that's what we need right now. Their input costs are going through the roof. Everything is costing them much, much more. And the carbon tax is probably one of the biggest issues that's on the plate. Uh, everybody across the province is still pushing for carbon tax. Uh, we are exactly the opposite uh, of that approach. Uh, we do not want any way, shape, or form to do with any carbon tax or carbon tax scheme, uh, rollbacks, credits, debits, anything that has to do with that nonsense is not on the table. That's the first thing. And the constituents are, are in agreement with that. They're, they're they're pushed over the edge with that. Uh, secondly, I want to just, I want to just jump on that for a second because after Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, came out with his carbon tax, whatever you want to call it, or carbon debit, or however he wants to spin it, a carbon tax is a carbon tax, and a carbon tax is a carbon tax, no matter how you say it. Did you hear from more conservatives say, you know what, enough's enough. We we were going conservative because there was no carbon tax, but now he's done a complete flip flop, and we're 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 moving on from him. I'll be quite honest. The uh, the conservatives have been our uh, our biggest supplier of uh, supporters, or the the conservative party has been our our, our biggest supplier of, of supporters. Uh, every time they open their mouths and say something uh, that uh, has to uh, benefit the central Canada, the eastern Canada, our numbers go up every single time. Uh, it's happened every time that he opens his mouth. We get more voters. We went from a Poland of about uh, three or four percent uh, to uh, ten and a half in the span of one week after uh, he started speaking. Uh, it's continued that uh, that trend. Uh, we're now at uh, roughly eleven and a half uh, percent for uh, for last week and uh, new numbers out for next week. Well, I'm predicting that we're going to see a, a, another pop of uh, several percent. So I'm excited that every time they open their mouth because uh, they got nothing good to say for Westerners. I'll tell you, just, and everybody sees it. Uh, they have lost their base out here, uh, and then it, it's visual. How how do as the, as the next MP for Battle River Crowfoot, you will have to represent everyone in your riding, even those who don't support you. And let's be honest, <laughs> politics has become a very divided world. 
How do you envision yourself working with all constituents, even those who may not agree with you on certain issues, whether it be the equalization payment, whether it be the energy, whether it be environment, how do you envision yourself working with everyone to ensure that you're, you're representing your constituents? Because sometimes what I hear from people is once you elect a politician, they go off to Ottawa and you never hear from them again. So how do you envision changing that atmosphere, but also representing everyone? So you know the biggest problem that comes up with, uh, with with that whole representation idea is that when you go to Ottawa, that, uh, that, that suddenly you disappear and your priorities change. And I've seen that myself. I says, uh, I, I'm not a spring chicken. I says, I, I've, I've seen it happen when people go to Ottawa and then that disappears. Unfortunately, a lot of the guys that I've uh, I've dealt with uh, in, in my career, Leon Benoit, uh, he was one of the guys that uh, that was you know one of my uh, my mentors. When I, I know younger. Leon quite and, well. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times. <laughs> yeah, he's a great man. I mean, he's absolute salt of the earth. And uh, what he tells you is what he does. And uh, he, there, there's no waffling. There's no backtracking. There's no, oh, I forgot or I meant to or I didn't. Uh, when, when Leon stuck up for us, uh, I mean, he's the one that helped my wife uh, get immigrated into Canada. I was having a horrible time uh, with the government trying to get my wife uh, over from the Philippines, so she got stuck on a, on a, a visa issue. And it took me a year and a half to get her, my daughter, uh, out of uh, the country and back to uh, to Canada. Uh, so my daughter was a year and a half before I ever uh, met her. Uh, and it was because of Leon Benoit and his staff that uh, they got me through uh, that whole that ordeal and got my family reunited here in Canada. So uh, he, he's a good friend of mine. He's done me solids the entire way through my, through my life. And that's the way that I sort of intend on, on running myself as well. Uh, if you give people the straight shots and uh, he, every time he says, you're gonna get good results. In a second, people smell BS. You know, they know when you're not, uh, they're not being that truthful. They know uh, when, when you're not, you know, telling them what they need to hear. So uh, I know people don't have necessarily all the same opinions that I have, and I'm okay with that too. He says, I don't expect everybody to uh, you know, be as, as pro-gun as I am. I don't expect everybody to be as, as uh, uh, into what I'm trying to do. Says, there's lots of people, and I, I see it on Facebook and Twitter all the time. There's plenty of trolls out there that uh, are trying to, uh, to slam us and, and paint us with all kinds of brushes that, uh, that we aren't. You know, we're not alt-right. You know, I would consider myself to be a, a true conservative, sort of center-right is where I kind of place myself. Uh, I don't consider myself to be uh, anything extremist of, of any way, shape, or form. That's, that's kind of where I sit. One of the big misconceptions that I hear when I talk to people here in Calgary and across uh, Canada is if there's upstart parties like the Maverick party or the people's party of Canada, which we won't talk about, we'll just keep to the Maverick party. You'll split the votes and the liberals will constantly get it. You will split the vote and the liberals will be able to squeeze us, squeeze up the middle and win by a thousand votes, win by a hundred votes. Are you afraid that you, with you potentially running, you could potentially elect a liberal in Battle River Crowfoot? Never going to happen, but there's a possibility. I've seen pigs fly, so <laughs> it'll be before NDP. I'll get you. Exactly. I, I, I would guarantee NDP would probably get a, get a seat before for any liberal ever did. Uh, no, I think uh, that whole vote splitting thing is a, is an absolute myth. Uh, 
it, it's something that I think uh, it, it would be more uh, predominant in our provincial politics. But uh, uh, the actual vote splitting, as far as uh, federal politics go, I think it's a, it's a complete myth. It, it's a non-starter. It, it's what people use in order to try and uh, uh, get other people uh, scared. That's that's what I think that it, it, it's it's a fear tool, right? Uh, it's if this happens, then this is going to happen, and you don't want this to happen. But that's not the way it works. Uh, we're smarter than that. We we kind of picked a bunch of ridings that we were going to be running in uh, initially that, that had zero chance for a Liberal Party member to uh, to get past the post office. This is it's the statistically impossible. Uh, for example, in the, in my riding by Battle River, here's here's, here's some of the numbers. Eighty five percent of the uh, voting population in Battle River voted for Conservative uh, in the last election for Damien Court. Okay. Now, the smallest number after that uh, for the next possible uh, party that could have got in was a was 10% or 5%. It's just, you've got such a huge gap between 85 and I'll, I'll give them the better. Maybe, maybe they had 15%. Wow, you're being, uh, you're being generous there, Doug. Yeah, I'm being I'm I'm being very generous. That's, that's kind of the numbers that, that, that I'm sitting at now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but there's absolutely even if we split 85, he says we're coming in at about 43 percent, 42 percent for uh, where that vote split's going to be. He says I'm I'm planning on taking votes from Damien. Absolutely, he says uh, there's no way to win without taking votes from away from conservatives. I'm totally okay with that. Me being a conservative. If a vote were to come down in the House of Commons and uh, there was a, a minority government uh, formed by the uh, the Conservatives, I would be voting on lockstep with them. If it doesn't affect uh, the West, uh, then I'll vote uh, as a Conservative would vote. But if it comes to the West, I'm going to vote entirely for what my Western constituents need. That's, I got to ask that question that, just on just to follow up on that. Have you seen a vote that your current MP has made that has not represented the West? You know, I haven't really gone through all his his voting record uh, to see exactly where he's gone in line. This is, uh, I'm sure that uh, there have been votes. Matter of fact, I know that there have been votes that uh, that Damien has done that have been for the uh, for the West uh, because they they put forward um, votes, but did they pass? You know, House of Commons because they don't have the support from the Liberals. Uh, there were a couple of bills that were sort of equal on par, that were nonpartisan, that uh, everybody uh, voted equally and all uh, said yay. So it's not like Damien's a bad guy. So they're, they're, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, pounding any of the, uh, uh, the, the, the conservative candidates. If Damien and I were, were in the same room, he says we would probably share the same kind of interests uh, and beliefs. But the issue comes in that as a Conservative Party member, uh, he is locked into those votes that come uh, as uh, a Conservative. If Aaron O'Toole says, we're voting this way, and for the uh, the best interests of the, uh, the the Western constituents, he can't vote. He has to vote with the party. He doesn't have that freedom. So that's our entire focus is with that freedom. How do you how do you keep a caucus together, though, with that mentality? And I am asking that question just off the top of my head, because it's it's great to hear that you will be voting for your constituents. I understand that. But we it goes back to this. Uh, uh, the question I asked prior is 
Sometimes your constituents might disagree with you. They might not completely agree with you. So talk to me about how you can vote your conscience while representing everyone, because yet again, not everyone's going to vote for you. That 15% who is going to vote for the Green Party, the Liberal Party, the NDP, the so on, the rhinoceros party, they're going to be in your constituents as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, see, the basic rule of democracy is you've got a, 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 a majority rules with respect for the minority rights and, and respect for the minorities. That's uh, that's how democracy works. You, you can't just sort of trample over the uh, the minority rights. I mean, you, take Pakistan, for example. Pakistan uh, is, is a nation that is a democratic nation. But in their democracy, if you are a minority, you do not have the rights. Period. Uh, you're a minority. You don't get uh, the same respect and rights that uh, that you, uh, and they're therefore they're, they're trampled on. So the Christian community in uh, in Pakistan is being uh, assaulted. Other churches are being taken uh, by the government, and there's nothing that the people can do about it because they don't have the respect for the individual or the personal rights uh, of minorities. I have those rights. I have those respect. Uh, if somebody disagrees with me, this is I could certainly explain my point of view to them. But as far as trying to change their mind, it's not my 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 position to be trying to change everybody's mind. It, it, it's more about consensus. It's the uh, consensus of of the uh, the group uh, or the membership says this is what we want, and I would support that. This is if it comes down to a vote of conscience. That's a different sort of, uh, of an issue, you know, moral issues, but that, that's a different story than, uh, than just sort of voting for what your constituents need. If the, the, mass, the vast majority of the constituents say, Doug, this is, a, and this is maybe coming from a town hall that's in the future that, uh, that determines this, and we've got a, a the party convention coming up on August the 7th where these will all be discussed as well. So uh, policy at this point is still being developed. And that, that comes from the memberships. People in our member have to, uh, if you want a voice in the party and to uh, to affect the, uh, the the policies that we're projecting, August 7th is your time to do it because that's where we're going to sit down in a virtual convention. We're going to talk about all our policies. Uh, we're going to set them to stone. And that is what we're going to be set. And again, that's the party policies. If it comes to a vote in confidence on, you know, a, a moral issue, uh, whether it be uh, abortion or or something, uh, one of the hot button topics like that, this is those are all different kinds of uh, topics that, that that would have to be addressed, and that comes down to your, your personal vote or in your, your your conscience. That's that's sort of the, the big difference there. Yeah. That that's where I would draw the line. Yeah, I want to talk some about some of those policies because uh, that's why you're here. And I love talking policy. It's one of my biggest fun things to do on a Tuesday morning at 930. It's talk policy. <laughs> I, I want to start with the biggest element in the room. Equalization, 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 equalization. Um, your party is in, uh, in favor of scrapping the equalization payments and keeping the money that is made in the West in the West. Correct. Let's be honest, and I think you and I will both agree on this, this, as much as you want to change it, you need a majority of the people of the the uh, the, the majority of the member of parliaments to vote for it. And let's yep. be honest, Quebec and Ontario will not be voting for that. So That's how do correct. you see yourself changing the equalization formula, changing the attitudes of all Canadians while trying to promote the Western independence, but not Western independence as in separation, but 
the Western, like, uh, we need to continue to keep the money here. Right. Well, there's, that, you're right. That's, that's probably the biggest element in the room is you're asking, how do you achieve separation? Basically. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's kind of what that comes down to because, uh, uh, you're right. If, if you follow the traditional path to, uh, uh, to separation, uh, follow through the, uh, there was a path laid up through the constitution for that random for the provinces. That's the first step. The provinces have to say, this is something that we want. This is something that we need. And they have to give a big enough mandate for the province to make those changes through that referendum. 51% is nice. 95 or 100% would be even better. You know, that, that, that's the, the democracy part of it. So but technically 51% in order to get it past the post. So once you get 51%, then that would go to the House of Commons for another brouhaha. Right? You know, all the MPs have to sit down and they have to go for it. Just say it makes it past that. Because now it's got to go to the provinces for them to say yay or nay, right? So there's there's a lot of roadblocks that can trip up the whole process. And uh, you know, if you want to put a, a, a probability or percentage of success onto it, it's going to be a pretty small number, right? I mean, everybody gets that. But there are more, one, more than one way to skin a cat, uh, as I've most recently discovered. Um, the, Don't want the to know how you know that? Well, the biggest print that came to my face here recently was uh, when Quebec unilaterally decided that they were going to uh, call themselves a, a nation. Right? I says to me that just opened the door. Says, if you're going to open a, a door that says uh, a province can unilaterally uh, say uh, that uh, they are an independent nation, um, that that changes the whole storyline to me. Uh, and really, all that that needed was the support of the prime minister and some uh, some members of parliament to uh, to make that go all squirrely and true. So um, I see a different path that it was just opened up recently, and uh, I think that that's the path that uh, would be most likely to have any sort of traction to it. It's it's a novel idea, uh, and the fact that they even proceeded with it was. I think a, a huge mistake on their part, but uh, it's certainly going to give us new opportunities for uh, for the Western uh, ideal. You know, but uh, in, if you even take separation off the page entirely, say say separation isn't going to happen. The other aspect that uh, is more interesting, I think, is the idea of autonomy, uh, separation within Canada. Because you know you've got separation without, which would be like a unilateral declaration of independence. You, know, you drop the UDI and and then like what Barcelona tried to do there a couple of years ago. That didn't go very well for Barcelona. Uh, they ended up having uh, I don't know if he's still in prison, but uh, they, uh, they 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 uh, he's either exiled or in prison. I I haven't following the story, but but it didn't go well. So that's the unilateral declaration of independence when you drop the big one. You know, the other way is separation within Canada, and that's more with what Quebec is trying to do. Uh, they've mirrored all their, their social programs. They've mirrored all their federal programs. So they're essentially, um, they are already, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, of definitions and splitting hairs. Um, 
for those who are just tuning in and who are listening, the, this is the ballot box, and we are with Douglas Corwandi, the uh, candidate for the Maverick Party in Battle River Crowfoot. We are just talking policy, and for for God bless this the show because we'll, I, I love chatting and seeing where the show goes. And we're talk, talking about Barcelona there for a few seconds. So if you're wondering why that's what happened, we are just talking about Barcelona and their leader. So uh, we will be talking about energy, 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 energy. Um, the energy industry has been taking hit after hit after hit uh, with this government. Uh, the Trudeau government seems to be putting up roadblocks with Bill 69 being one of them, no more pipelines bill, but also its stance and a it's wavering on potentially Energy East, Northern Gateway, Keystone XL, which has got vetoed. How do you envision a strong energy sector in Western Canada when you have parties and governments in Quebec, in Ottawa, and in lower mainland BC who are so strongly opposed to it because they believe that the energy industry is dead? And I'm quoting them, and I'm not believing that because I believe oh, I is coming back yeah that's that's their words yeah yeah so how do you how do you envision a strong energy industry industry and an energy sector in western canada when we have so many roadblocks ahead of us that need to be overcome and provinces and governments do not want to take them down well there's there, there's there's reasons that the provinces don't want to take them down. That all comes down to the amount of money that the uh, the, the federal government is throwing at, and that that's that's where a lot of that is coming from. If it wasn't so palatable to uh, swallow this kind of garbage, uh, you know, you throw a bunch of sugar at a bunch of garbage, and it, it, it tastes a lot better. So that's what the uh, the, the federal government is doing. So they're, they're throwing a bunch of sugar at all these energy companies. And, and, paying them off uh, with these carbon credits. And one of the biggest uh, uh, growth industries right now is uh, carbon credit assessors, uh, a new industry where uh, they will literally trade from one company to another company in the energy sector, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, they're being paid not to produce oil. They're being paid not to produce gas. You know, they're, they're cutting the taps uh, themselves because they're getting paid more money to not do it. So uh, that's one of the big things that has to be issued or it has to be addressed. And that's within our own provinces. That's within our own energy sector. Our own energy sector is accepting this kind of uh, tainted money. Uh, it's poisoning themselves and it's ruining their own industry. Uh, I'm a big capitalist. Uh, I've always been uh, pro-business. Uh, if you have a product that's decent and people need, they're going to buy it. Uh, we have a, especially in Northern Canada, it says we can't run off of electrical uh, devices. We can't run off of uh, you know, solar panels. We can't run off of uh, energy uh, off the windmills. There isn't enough juice that's produced that will run a, a, a semi-tractor trailer from British Columbia to Manitoba. There isn't enough electricity that's going to do that in a timely fashion. The whole trailer will be full of batteries. You know, we're not at that point, and I don't think that we're going to be at that point for 100 years. You know, my kids aren't going to see it, uh, but they're pushing for it. You know, they're, they're trying to get more of this faux uh, fear put into everybody to try and get us to quit using it. You know, the carbon tax is nothing but a punitive tax. 
text to try and get us to stop using it. That's what it was put in there for, you know. And then they're just reaping the extra millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, that they're, they're taking from us as, as general revenue taxes. It, it, there's no logic to it. In Western Canada, we need heat, for, and that comes from gas. Uh, we need uh, uh, fuel to get our vehicles across. Uh, you know, I would be fearful to try and drive a Tesla from uh, Vancouver to uh, to Toronto. I would have no issues getting in a car and doing the same thing. So, you know, we're not at the point where you can heat your car or heat your house or drive your car with electricity. We're, we're not there. And our government just seems to want to try and penalize us for all of these steps to try and use this stuff. I think business will make it come back. I think the, the demand for a product will force its use. Uh, I don't think you can twist that around the other way and try and force people into something that they, that they can't use. I don't think that's possible. I think it, eventually it will come to the point where people will just say, you know what, I'm filling up my gas uh, with my car and I'm going, if it's gonna cost me two bucks a gallon or two bucks a liter out there, he says, I'm gonna pay it, but he says, I'm gonna keep using it. One of the big areas that I want to talk about, because I, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is actually part of Battle River Crowfoot. But I want to talk about Hard City, Alberta, the beginning of the um, northern, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline that was going to take uh, Alberta oil from here in Alberta all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, President Joe Biden has vetoed that. He has canceled that. Are you hearing from the people of that community and what are they saying right now? Because they were relying on this pipeline to go through because it would mean jobs. It would be, I mean, a boom to their economy. And what are you hearing from them? Well, you know, the, the pipeline was practically done uh, by the time that it, uh, it had already crossed over the border uh, underneath the, the, the U.S. Canada border and was headed north uh, at that point when, uh, when uh, Biden pulled the plug on it. So, uh, and, and Trudeau didn't say boo about it. He didn't, uh, he didn't push back. There was no effort uh, from any of the, of the federal parties to say that uh, this shouldn't happen. There was no, there was no outrage. Uh, the people were quite upset about it. Uh, there was a lot of jobs that got lost a bit and uh, the, the potential revenue that, they, that we could have had by exporting our oil uh, through that pipeline would have been billions. So, yeah, I don't know how you can possibly discount something like that. Uh, and, and it's not as though they're going to pull it out of the ground tomorrow. Yeah. It's still there. Uh, do I think that uh, I, uh, another administration could happen in the United States and open that back up again? Absolutely. It's not like it's, it, it's going to disappear. It's still there. It's just going to wait for us. Uh, the next area I want to talk about is an area that you just uh, spoke about briefly earlier on in the episode was firearms. Um, this government has been uh, sneakily trying to introduce a firearm registry again or a buyback program for firearms across uh, Canada where any good citizen can return their firearms and get a payment from the federal government. Um, first off, uh, what is your approach when it comes to firearm safety and how do you envision the uh, Maverick party being a strong supporter of safe firearm use? Well, I'm uh, I'm pro guns. I'm also pro gun education. Uh, I think that uh, it's most important if you're going to have 
he's kind of like getting a license for a car, right? He says, nobody just sort of gets in a car and starts blazing down the highway to 120. He says, bad things happen. Every single time, bad things happen. Uh, same thing with firearms. Firearms is, is, is uh, it's a tool. You know, they're, they're great for, uh, for sports. Uh, I love to go and target shoot. Uh, I'm not a big hunter. Uh, I used to do that when I was younger. Uh, I haven't had a whole lot of opportunities to go out and do a lot of uh, plinking on, uh, on stuff like that. But uh, I love target shooting. This is, uh, I can go to the range uh, any given day and, uh, and have a wonderful afternoon. It, it's great therapy. I, it really is. Now that comes agree wholeheartedly being, on that one. <laughs> you know that comes with being educated in, in guns. You know, uh, if if you're afraid of guns, don't use guns. Is, uh, you will have a bad opportunity. Get training. Uh, there's lots of uh, hunter training courses that uh, you can get your, uh, your 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 license from, uh, and that's the only way to do it. Is you do it legally, you learn how to do it properly, and you get comfortable with it. It's the same as driving a car, and the same sort of responsibilities go with that. Is no guns don't kill people. People will kill people, right? That that's how that uh, that old moniker used to go. Uh, we one of the, forgot on that. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. One of the big uh, things that I've been hearing over the last, uh, I would say, four months, because it seems like we're always in a con uh, a election speculation with a minority <laughs> government. <laughs> is isn't that funny? Uh, yeah. I have my own opinions on how that works, but. I just I just want them to pull the plug and just get this election for with. It seems like we're just constantly in a state of, okay, are we or are we not? And it seems like every federal party well, seems to yeah, want to campaign on it that taxpayer dollar right now. But go ahead. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes, exactly. That is exactly what is happening right now. Says, I, I wish we had the deep pockets that the uh that the conservatives and the and the liberals and the NDP uh had. Uh, I'm looking for a uh, an official agent for my campaign. I think I may have settled on one now, but uh, everybody, every candidate has to have an official agent. And uh, I went on to Indeed, and I did a quick search through Indeed, and they're paying that, that role pays about fifty five thousand dollars a year. You know, and uh, and when you don't have a whole lot of uh, funds in your in, in your bank account for for trying to run a campaign. Is fifty five thousand dollars? That that's a lot of money for a, for a, a campaign to be paying for a, for an official agent. So I'm looking more for a volunteer, really. If anybody out there happens to know one, but uh, politics is not an inexpensive game. If people always give me a hard time, you're always asking me for money. You're always asking me for money. Well, like that's because we're new and we're growing, and we got a lot to do and a lot to accomplish, and nothing comes cheap or free. Well, and that's what I want to talk about because I'm just looking at the time and I'm being cautious of it because we, I, I said we, I'd take Yeah, we're going to go 42 minutes here. <laughs> yeah, but I want to talk about that. Um, people are going to be looking at parties. How can people get involved in your campaign in Battle River Crowfoot? Because you will need volunteers. You will need oh, people yeah. to go out door knocking with you. How can people get involved in your campaign? Got lots of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, the, for the main part, uh, if for people who are watching this art in the Battle River area and art in my riding and still want to get a hold of somebody, this is, you go to our main website there, um, maverickparty.ca. Uh, that will take you to our main webpage there, and there's a button there that says uh, Volunteers and Join. So uh, that would be to get you on the list uh, of, of our, our main list of volunteers. Uh, if you're within the riding, uh, grab a hold of me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, any one of those things there that'll get a hold of me. And uh, you can also try our uh, email address. Uh, my own email address is my full name, Douglas Carwandi at yahoo.ca. 
And then you can also get a hold of us through our, uh, our, our, our an EDA. Our EDA is our Electoral District Association. We used to call them riding associations. The Election Canada decided they were going to get all fancy and call it something else. But that, that's basically our old riding association. Uh, their address is uh, brcmaverickeda at gmail.com. Uh, that'll get you through to our our main EBA board, and they can take your information, and uh, they'll get you that way. Otherwise, just go hold of me. This is a, if, I'm not a big team. I mean, I've got a, a board of uh, of uh, executives, uh, a, a director at large, and a a small group of volunteers. In uh, well, it's getting bigger though. I mean, we got folks in Wainwright, we got folks in Consort, Castor, um, Donalda. Uh, Camrose, uh, Bashaw, uh, um, Balf, and uh, a couple other ones. So this is we've got a good base starting. Uh, always use more people. We, it's not easy getting out uh, trying to pound a lot of doors in a day. So uh, we can use all the help and all the money that you can give us. Well, for those who are looking to either donate or get involved in Doug's campaign, the links to his Facebook page, his Twitter, and to the uh, Maverick Party website, and if I'm not mistaken, I put in the link to the EDA's uh, email address, will be in the show notes. So I highly recommend you get out and get involved. This election is going to be an important one for Western Canada, but also here all across Canada. Um, but before we go, I do have a few, uh, two last questions for you, Doug. Uh, I, I love this one because I love to hear why people are doing what they're doing. Doug, why should you be the next MP for the riding of Battle River Crowfoot? You know, the biggest aspect that I can possibly say that is, is my ace in the hole is I'm not a politician. You know, everybody that I've talked to so far uh, is sick and tired of our true blue quote unquote politicians that we've got. Uh, I am a regular guy. Uh, I've got a uh, wife, kids, and, and, and bills to pay every day. It's, just, uh, it's, it's every day is just a regular day. This is, that's my ace in the hole. This is, uh, I, I like to think of uh, politics as being a, uh, uh, a microcosm of, the, uh, of how uh, the population works. And I don't think there's a whole lot. I mean, I, my day-to-day operations, I don't run into a lot of lawyers. You know, I don't run into a lot of, uh, you know, uh, folks that uh, that have uh, degrees out there. You know, been through political science. Just, those are not the folks that I hang out with on, on a general basis. So uh, I don't consider myself a politician. I'm a regular guy. Uh, that's, I think, my advantage is that the, I, don't think, I think people are tired of politics and they're tired of politicians. They want somebody that's, that's more like uh, the way they think uh, and that have been through the experiences that they've been through. Uh, and I'm living, I'm living that right now. Is, that's, I am Joe Average as far as that goes. My last question for you, Doug, is what would be priority number one for you if elected day one after the next general election is finally called and you are the MP elect for Battle River Crowfoot? What is priority number one for you and your constituents? 
Well, really, the priority number one would be getting our, ourselves a, uh, an actual constituency office set up so that we've got a, a front door uh, in the community as opposed to a virtual one uh, that uh, people are getting real sick and tired of in a, in a hurry. Says, I don't, don't get me wrong. I, says, I love podcasts. I, I love virtual. I love Zoom. Uh, it's got us through the last year and a half, but uh, it says we need people face to face daily now, not just. Uh, not, not virtually. Is, uh, there's so much more that we can accomplish face to face and with a handshake than you could accomplish uh, over a Zoom meeting and wait for somebody to pull a knife out of your back. So, they yeah. want is, is to get ourselves a constituency office so that we can get better communication with the uh, with the constituents. Being a small party, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be wanting to knock on the doors and uh, get their their voices heard. Uh, and I think that's the best way to do it is to have an actual office in a place on the ground that people can get to. Now, Battle River Crowfoot is a massive riding, one of the <laughs> largest in Alberta. Do you envision yourself uh, having more than just one office? Because I can imagine the people in the southwest quadrant uh, or the southeast quadrant of your riding would not want to drive to the northeast or northwest quadrant of your riding to no, that's a, talk that's to a, you. That's a long hike. That's a long hike. This is, uh, and, and the other aspect of that is because it is, is a large uh, riding, it is, it is hard for, for myself uh, at that point to, uh, to get out and go to the people. You, know, you, you go to Stetler and you go to the Board of Trade and you go to the, uh, to the town halls. And, and uh, I think, you know what, just, I think a town hall would probably be one of the first things that, uh, that a person should do once, you're, uh, once you've got yourself uh, elected. Uh, I think the first thing out there would be to have a, a town hall. This is that way, uh, not just in constituency, but the town hall, that way people can get out and uh, and actually see and uh, get their voices heard. Now, hopefully all these people are, are, are already members because they're the folks that are going to be doing the, 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 the party uh, policy uh, creation at our August uh, 7th uh, convention. So uh, it's all about the people. It's all about what they want and how they want to do it. This is, uh, I got my own ways as to how I think that, that we can expand and make it better, but I'm always looking for better ideas. Um, Douglas, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I'm just cautious of time yet again. Um, for my listeners, to my viewers, to the people who have tuned into this uh, great interview, I want to thank them for tuning in. But I also want to thank you, Doug, for actually joining and actually talking and uh, opening yourself up to some questions because I think there's misconceptions about the Maverick Party, and I'm hoping that we cleared some up today because uh, at the end of the day, I hope people make informed decisions, and sometimes the media is not the best for informed decisions. So if we can do a little bit it hasn't of proved uh, to be that way anyway, go ahead. No, it hasn't proved the, the media hasn't proved to be very uh, you know uh, definitive uh, in, in their their coverage. So uh, they they have a bias that uh, that I understand where it comes from. Uh, fortunately, uh, there are lots of other avenues for uh, for getting our message out there, and uh, our like I said, our biggest. Our biggest uh, contributor to our party right now is the conservatives themselves. Uh, as they implode in Western Canada, we are seeing more and more members. So uh, the more people get the message every day. Perfect. With that, uh, Douglas, thank you so much for doing this yet again for my listeners and to the uh, uh, viewers, the links to Doug's Facebook website. Insta, uh, Twitter and email address are in the show notes. I highly recommend you check them out. Douglas, once again, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. It's been a great day. Thank you. The Ballot Box is part of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. 
and is produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated.